Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. All right, film geeks, on this last Tuesday of September, today's class is all about one of my favorites, Gone Baby Gone. So let's talk about it. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of All Right, Let's Talk About It. My name is Savannah. I am your host. I do film reviews and film industry commentary. And this is $2 Tuesday, the series where we talk about movies we haven't talked about before. And we are talking about one of my favorite movies today. So as you have been following along, this month has been a struggle for me. So kind of backtrack a bit so that we're all on the same page. I've been doing film reviews every weekend, sometimes in the middle of the week, depending on when I'm able to see said movie. And I wanted to do something extra. I wanted to kind of fill in the gaps in the week a little bit. Um, just, I, I don't know for what reason why. I just wanted to. So I figured, hey, why not talk about more things and more movies, movies from the past. I only started doing this in January. There are a lot of reviews I've done on TikTok that I've never done in long form. And eventually we're going to get to those. But I just wanted to do something a little bit extra. And as I was planning this out, I was able to basically plan out to a T October and November. September was a struggle. So when I say I was, I've literally been making this up as I go. I've been making this up as I go. Like it was me literally scrolling through the streaming services that I have because I did most of this when I was out of town. So, and I have a DVD player and a whole bunch of DVDs at home, but that would require me to buy batteries for the television remote and for the DVD remote. My TV stays on. I have an Apple TV thingy. So the television just stays on and then it just, you know, screen saves for however, I mean, it's, yeah, that's my life. So yeah, it's just screaming through the multiple streaming services that I have, trying to figure out what do I want to talk about for the month of September? How do I want to introduce this? And so week one, we did Twister. That kind of just came out of nowhere. I figured, hey, why not start from the very beginning? Let's start with when I really started to get into analyzing film. The very first film class I took was a uh, class in high school called Film is Literature. One of the first films we watched was Twister. The next week I said, hey, why not Dune? Because right around the time I made this decision is when Dune was delayed. It was supposed to come out, I believe, October or November. 
and got delayed until March 2024 because of the actor strike. So I figured, hey, let's go ahead and watch Dune and let's talk about it. Maybe if I release the thing earlier early enough, um, people can help me make sense of the things that I couldn't make sense of because sci-fi is not my forte. So the menu, how did that come about? Literally scrolling. And I came across the menu and I remembered what I loved about the menu being such a such an effective social commentary. And I really wanted to talk about that aspect of it because that's something that bugs me in a lot of movies. The way a lot of films are trying to push something or say something, and instead of making it an undertone, they make it an overtone and it gets kind of lost. And it feels very pushy and judgy. And we're not given enough room to really get something out of it. We have to get what the director wants us to get out of it. And that's not art. Art doesn't work that way. The artist obviously has an intention, but when we gaze upon art, when we consume it ourselves, what we get out of it might be completely different from what the artist intended. Now, Kind of going in the same vein of talking about social commentaries and messages that maybe directors or writers are wanting to send or even social issues they're wanting to talk about or address or make sense of. Because sometimes it's an effort to make sense of, you know, just everyday, normal, regular things. This movie that we're talking about today, Gone Baby Gone, what I remember most about the movie itself, not just the watching it, but just the overall experience was a couple of days after I saw the movie. I saw this in college and the movie came out in 2007. And at the time when I was in college, I was in this Christian college ministry called Campus Outreach. Um, and every Tuesday we would get together for like, you know, a little bit of worships, a sermon, whatnot. And then afterwards we would go to Krispy Kreme and then sometimes cook out. Uh, this happened in Greensboro, so I'm not sure what the landscape looks like now, but I believe this was on Battleground Avenue, if I remember correctly. So if you're on, if you live in Greensboro, let me know. But the Krispy Kreme and the cookout were separated by a parking lot. So it wasn't all that unusual for us once we got to Krispy Kreme to walk across the parking lot to go to cookout. So I walked over to cookout to get my normal um, Oreo cheesecake milkshake. And one of our leaders, Kyle, he was a graduated college dude who was kind of serving as the male leader for our group. And I'd mentioned that I'd seen Gone Baby Gone. He had seen it as well. And he loved it. Absolutely loved it. We were very, very different. So I was kind of surprised that we both really enjoyed this movie. He was a graduate from Elon University. I went to UNC Greensboro. And these campuses, these schools, they're rivals, but they're polar opposites in terms of style and culture, vernacular. A lot of your Elon kids were some of your more wealthy, well-to-do kids. That At least that's kind of the image. You know, pearls and polos is what we used to say about them. You know, we used to give them a hard time because they were always so prim and proper with their um, khaki shorts, their loafers, and their polo shirt, like pearl earrings, like pearls and polos, right? And that was kind of their campus culture. Now, I went to UNC Greensboro. That was not our campus culture. Like it was, you know, um, a big deal if we wore regular clothes to class. It was not unusual to walk around and see people going to class in pajamas or walking around barefoot, very chill, very laid back, easygoing campus. It's, you know, quintessential America, I would say, because Americans, part of our cultures, we take nothing seriously. That's very much UNC Greensboro. Now, things may have changed since I've graduated, but in the early 2000s, that was us. So he and I were very, very different, yet we found common ground in this movie. We had a conversation. And I remember he asked me, 
what would you have done? What would you have done? That's the thing about this movie that I love so much. I love movies that sit with you, that force you to ask questions and not just ask questions about maybe the world at large, but even force you to question yourself, force you to question your own moral compass. You know, you thought you knew yourself before going into this movie, but realizing if faced with the same situation, what decision would I make? That's what this movie is about. It's about a, it's about moral dilemmas. It's about moral compasses. It's about right and wrong and making the right and wrong decisions. How sometimes the right decision is the is completely wrong on every level, but sometimes the right decision causes destruction. And what do you do? You know what right and wrong is. And you know what the potential consequences of that decision could be. And knowing that if you do the right thing, things might fall apart. But if you do the wrong thing, everything's okay. And then having to live with that, live with your conscience after having made that decision. That's what this movie does, is it forces us to really examine ourselves in our own moral compass. And I kind of want to talk about that for a bit. So sit with me. Here we go. Ben Affleck is the M. Night Shyamalan of actors. He's either hit or miss. When he's on, he is on. But when he's off, it's like, bro, why? I think he's a great actor, but he's one of those actors who needs a good director. He is going to follow direction. He is going to go wherever the director takes him. He has a lot of respect, it seems. This is what I get from him anyway, is that he seems to have a lot of respect for the process. So he he's not going to you know, override the director, so to speak. Like he's going to stay in his lane and do the job that was given to him. And sometimes that works out and sometimes it doesn't. Now, he's been in this industry for quite some time, since the early 90s, started off relatively small, extra here, um, small unspoken role here, and then got his big break in the mid 90s. But things really took off for him in 1997 when he did Good Will Hunting with Matt Damon, Robin Williams. The next year, 1998, Robin Williams wins um, Best Actor, if I'm not mistaken, or Best Supporting Actor for his role in Goodwill Hunting. And then him and Matt Damon won what is now called Best Original Screenplay, the Academy Awards. So he's only been in this industry for a couple of years before he finally wins an Oscar. You know, not a lot of people can say that, have that to their name, to know that they've only been in the industry itself for a couple of years before they get the highest accolade that you can get in this industry, which is an Oscar. And those were a good couple of years for him, the mid-90s going into the early 2000s. So you had Goodwill Hunting, Shakespeare in Love, Armageddon, uh, Dogma's a funny one, Forces of Nature, um, Reindeer Games. Um, what else is in there? Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Um, th- that movie's funny. We love them. It it just is. Also going into 2001, Pearl Harbor, The Sum of All Fears, the next year. And then we get into like the early 2000s, like 2002, 2003. And that the season of hits is done. And now we're in the season of misses. And bless his little heart. What a season it was for him. Because not only is his, are his acting choices um, confusing, we had Jersey Girl, Daredevil, um 
what else? What was that other one? The jiggle, whatever it's called. I can never pronounce it. He was in that thing. But he's in this relationship with Jennifer Lopez. And this is kind of the first time that this was like the first time we had like a a big celebrity couple that people were just invested in for no reason. You know, the whole name combination thing What we do, Brangelina. Before Brangelina, we had Benifer. And yeah, it, it blessed it. I think it ruined their relationship. They were together for quite some time. They got engaged. They called off the engagement, ended their relationship and went their separate ways. He ended up marrying Jennifer Garner, having a couple children. She went on to marry what two or three more people. I can't even remember or almost get married to a couple people. She had twins and then they got back together just very recently, you know, you know, right person, wrong time kind of deal, I guess. I don't know. Beautiful little love story. But at the time, it was awful for them. The press was um, relentless. Nobody was kind to them. His name at that time was associated with just drama. Drama. So much drama. And then on top of that, these movies that were just not good. Um, so the the lot of the little bit of trust, I think, that the movie going public had in Ben Affleck kind of went away for a bit. But then he decides he wants to sit in the director's chair. So 2003 is when things kind of went nuts for him. It it was a couple of years of just things not being very good. And then in 2007, he gives us this directorial debut in Gone Baby Gone starring his brother. Now, again, we had Ben Affleck, the writer in 1997, but there was a lot of misses in between there. And people have very short term memories. They're basically houseflies. And so people see his name right next to director and they're a little confused. They're, They're a little unsure. They don't know what to do with that. All I know is that the guy in the movie, I like the sound of his voice and he's very cute. I didn't realize that was Casey Affleck at the time. I was young. I was like 18 or 19, somewhere around there. Uh, 2007. Nope. I would have been 20. Never mind. So I go see this movie comes out October and I absolutely loved it. I think like a lot of people who saw this movie, knowing what we knew about Ben Affleck and just kind of the air surrounding him, it was very just, I don't want to say shocking, but just like, wow. Okay. You know, this was his first round at really directing a free feature film. It was his directorial debut, but almost instantly, his name as a director became associated with Excellence. Excellence. Very much excellence. That by the time his next movie came out was like 2009, 2010, uh, The Town, we still expected excellence. Gone Baby Gone was such a success in terms of um, artistry, just, just the accomplishment of the film itself. Box office wise, I think it did all right for what it was given, but it it was a successful film in that it was just well-received, critically acclaimed, Academy Award nominated. I believe Amy Ryan won, not won, but she was nominated for Best Supporting Actress for this movie. So so it got accolades. They got awards. They were on a couple of top 10 lists. So there was success with this movie, so much so that his name as a director became associated with excellence. Acting-wise, he was still hit or miss, but as a director, we expect excellence from Ben Affleck. So this movie is Gone Baby Gone, 
released in October 2007, again directed by Ben Affleck, stars Casey Affleck, Michelle Monaghan, Morgan Freeman, Ed Harris, John Ashton, Amy Ryan, Amy Madigan, Titus Welliver, um, Eddie Gathigi. For my Twilight fans, you know who Eddie Gathigi is. I believe his name was what, Laurent? From the first movie, the first Twilight, the Black Vampire with Dreads. Same dude. He was also in one of the second generation X-Men movies. I think of the first one. So what is this movie about? So this movie is based on a novel by Dennis Lehane, whom we are all very familiar with. He wrote Mystic River and Shutter Island. And he writes a lot of novels based in the city of Boston. He's a local. And that those are his books. They're all some Boston story. And Gone Baby Gone is no different. This, I believe, is the fourth book in a series of books starring two characters, Kenzie and Gennaro, Patrick Kenzie and Angela Gennaro. These are private de- detectives who live and work in the neighborhood of Dorchester in the city of Boston. And this movie, Gone Baby Gone, is particularly about them going into a missing persons case about a little girl, a toddler, three or four years old. Her name is Amanda McCready. And she's gone missing. She's been missing for three days when her aunt, Beatrice decides to hire Patrick and Angie to augment the investigation, to kind of go into the neighborhood aspect of the case and talk to people who may or may not talk to the police. This movie is so good. It is disturbingly good. It is well acted, well directed, well written. Ben Affleck also, I believe, was a co-writer for this as well, along with Aaron Stockard. And... I just, I can't get over how amazing this film was, but it doesn't just work as, you know, an artistic venture, but also as a thought piece. Because again, this is a movie that kind of forces you to really think. It it forces you to ask yourself questions and it it forces you to look at yourself a little bit differently. It, It shifts you in a way. And it sticks, it stays to a point where I'm having conversations about this movie days later. So Patrick Kinsey and Angie Nero are a couple. They've known each other for a very long time. They've been together for a while, but we don't know all that backstory. By the time we get to this movie, they've been well together for quite some time. They live together. They work together. They have this business thing that they do. They're partners in life and in work, and they're very different. We get a good sense of the character differences pretty early on when they are introduced to this case. Angie is very hesitant. She wants the police to handle it. And a lot of that has to do with her hesitation to get involved because she's afraid of what the outcome might be. She's afraid that the case might end with a dead child or an abused child. Whereas um, Patrick isn't thinking about the outcome. He's thinking about what the right or wrong thing is to do. And he believes the right thing is to get involved and to help. Whereas Angie's thinking about the outcome. He's thinking about the moment. Does that make sense? So that's basically what this movie is. I think that pretty much describes this movie to a T is that dynamic between the two of them. She is thinking about the outcome. She's not thinking about whether this is a right or wrong decision, but she's worried about the outcome. He's not worried about the outcome. He's concerned with whether or not their decision to get involved is right or wrong. And he thinks it's right. So eventually they do get involved and they get into this kind of underbelly in, that involves Amanda McCready's mother, Helene. And all along the way, they have run-ins with Captain Jack Doyle, played by Morgan Freeman, who is the head of this division that's supposed to, you know, be all about children in the Boston PD. He assigns 
two detectives to him, Ed Harris, who plays Sergeant Remy Brissant, Brissant being a Louisiana French name, John Ashton, direct, um, who plays Detective Nick Poole. So basically, you know, just they're there to kind of supervise and kind of walk alongside and make sure that information is getting to where it's supposed to be. But we, we kind of get the, the air that these are detectives who've been at it for quite some time, who are not opposed to cutting corners or kind of going rogue slightly whenever it's necessary. And that includes getting involved with a man named Cheese Jean-Baptiste. Cheese Jean-Baptiste is a big figure in this neighborhood, drugs, money, guns, what have you. And he is somehow involved with Helene McCready, Amanda's mom, played by Amy Ryan. She's a drug mule, and she has been running drugs for for cheese for quite some time. And on one of those trips, she stole money from him. $130,000, her and her boyfriend, Ray Lakansky. Well, she hid the money. And so they figure out that she stole this money Amanda's missing. This involves, this must involve cheese. Cheese must have taken her daughter and maybe if they can get the money and exchange it, they can get Amanda back and no one will be none the wiser. You know, they are going to play it off like nothing happened. Like Amanda was gone and then somebody dropped her off. Who could have done it? I don't know. As I shrug my shoulders, but things don't quite go as planned because from the very beginning of this movie, we get the air that things aren't quite what they seem. It's a very single, like five second, not even five second, like maybe like half a second shot at the very beginning of the movie of a reporter, um, an anchor of sorts, standing on a box wearing shorts. But from the top up, from the waist up, he has on a suit jacket, tie, button up. He looks clean, but he's messed up from the bottom. But it's OK, though, because on camera, all we can see is him from about the chest up so things aren't quite what they seem that's a little nugget that Ben Affleck is, wants to place in the back of our heads things aren't quite what they seem so that when we get to the meat of this story when things really unravel when we really see that nothing is what we thought it was we're not so shocked or surprised because we knew that something wasn't quite right we knew something was off we just didn't know what we weren't exactly sure We just had that nugget planted in the back of our heads that things weren't quite right. So they meet up with Cheese. Cheese says, I don't have the girl. Get out of my establishment. How dare you disrespect me? But apparently Cheese had a change of heart because the very next morning he drops a blanket, or so to speak, in Angie and Patrick's mailbox proving he has the girl and he's willing to exchange the money and Amanda do the whole thing at a quarry at night. Well, Captain Jack Doyle gets wind of this because apparently Cheese called the station. So he has the recording and a transcript of the call. He brings in and, um, Kenzie and Janera. He brings in the two detectives. He's yelling at them. What have y'all gotten me into? Well, crap, now we have to do the dang thing. So we're going to do it. And they go to the quarry to do it. But things don't go quite right. Cheese gets shot and Amanda falls into the water and dies. Her body is never found. So... The worst possible outcome happened just as Angie Gennaro feared. Now they're dealing with a dead kid. This movie is all about choices. 
It's all about whether or not to step in, whether or not to engage. What would you do? Would you do the right thing or wouldn't you? Because Patrick keeps being faced with this question of, do I do the right thing? What do I do? He's faced with this question when he is invited or hired to work this case. You know, is it the right thing to get involved? Whereas Angie is like, well, what could possibly happen? As he's getting involved and he gets involved in this exchange, so to speak, he's asking himself, is this the right thing to do? Well, as it turns out, two months after Amanda, another kid goes missing, a little boy named Johnny. And they keep talking on the news about his St. Christopher medallion, how it's supposed to keep him safe. And well, at the beginning of the Amanda McCready case, the detectives informed them about a pedophile who was released from prison and then two people he may have been holed up with, but they weren't quite sure because, you know, this pedophile was more so into little boys and little girls. Gross. Yes, I know. Well, Patrick's best buddy, Bubba, who is a character all in a character that we really don't get to know in this movie and it makes me sad. I read the books after I watched the movie and he is an absolute character and I hate we didn't get to learn and love him more in this movie, but I digress. The movie is perfect just as it is. So Bubba says, hey, I think I know the people you're looking for. I've seen them. I sell drugs to them. Hey, come with me to do this sale or this whatever it's called, this drop, and we'll see if the guy you're looking for is in the house. So they Bubba and Patrick go to this house to do this drug sale thing. And it turns out the dude is in the house with these two cokeheads. And lo and behold, on his wrist is a St. Christopher medallion. I don't think that's where medallions are supposed to go. So Patrick Kinsey comes back with Poole and Brissant ready to kind of go in the house, arrest this pedophile, find the kid. Because obviously there's evidence that he's there. Well, things, again, don't quite go the way they're supposed to. Detective Poole gets shot in the neck. Patrick is trying to help him. He's calling 911. He goes in the house because he thinks maybe he has to go help the other detective. He ends up getting in a shooting match with this lady, and it's ugly, and she's funny looking. And then he locks himself in this room, and now he's face-to-face with the pedophile who's cowering in a corner, shaking, saying it was an accident. It was an accident. It was an accident. And Patrick goes to the invest to investigate what could have been an accident and probably wishes he hadn't. He walks into the bathroom and in the sink in a pool of water, is blood. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Had soaked underwear and in the bathtub is a dead child. He loses his guts, literally. And now he's faced with another decision. What does he do? What does he do? What is he supposed to do? What's the right decision here? This man just killed this child. He didn't just kill this child. He abused this child. He hurt this child. Because not only is there blood-soaked underwear in the sink, but there's duct tape on the bed rails from where this child was held and abused. He has all of this in his face. It's disgusting, nasty, evil. And there, it, right there in his face, crying and cowering, begging for his life is the cause of all that evil. What is he supposed to do? He takes his gun, puts it in the back of his head, execution style, and pulls the trigger. Hell yeah, some of us are probably saying that's absolutely the right thing to do is to pull the trigger. He's scum. He killed a child. He abused a child. He battered and beat that child. Broke him. He deserves punishment. But Patrick is wrestling with his conscience because everyone is telling him, you did the right thing. Angie Gennaro is telling him, I'm proud of you. But he killed someone. He murdered someone. Murder is a sin, he says. But Detective Brissant tells him that sometimes the right thing doesn't always look like the right thing. Shares a story with him about how he once planted drugs on someone. And he got information about this house from his buddy, Ray Lekansky. And they go to this house and they don't find anything there. It's not nasty roaches everywhere. It's awful. Clearly, this is a trap house. And in the back room, in the kids room, there's a child's room there. The room is immaculate. And there is this little boy, the life left, the life gone from his eyes. Clearly, this child has been beaten. And he all he wants to do is tell him how he has learned his, you know, multiplication tables. This child, all he wants is for someone to be proud of him, to tell him he's doing a good job. And filled with compassion for this kid, Detective Brissant plants drugs on the father, saying the kid is better off. The kid is better off without a dad who beats him, who doesn't care about him. Was that the right thing to do? Patrick asked him, and he says absolutely was the right thing to do. And, and that's the dilemma that we're left with. That's when, that's when we're forced to make decisions as an audience. Because what Detective Brissant is telling us is clearly against the law. And the law says it's wrong, but what what is the right thing to do by that child? That, that's where things get muddy. That's where things get messy. Once we're aware of things, once things are in our face, and once we have knowledge... 
we have to act. We have to make a decision. Something we we whether we we step forward or we walk away, a decision is involved. And now we're forced to ask, what do we do? What is the right thing to do? What should I do? Detective Brisson is trying to explain to Patrick that sometimes the right thing can be very, very wrong. Unfortunately for us, Detective Poole dies and they're at the funeral, but but Patrick's not quite done because there's something that Detective Brissant says that brings him back to Amanda. Even though Amanda's dead, the case is closed. He mentioned Ray Lakansky, who is Helene McCready, Helene McCready being Amanda McCready's brother, I mean mother. That's her boyfriend, Ray Lakansky. And when they first mentioned Ray Lakansky to Detective Poole and De- Detective Brissant, Detective Brissant said he'd never heard of him. He didn't know him. It's what what big deal of it is, is what what is is it really that big of a deal to mention that, hey, yeah, I know that dude. He's a rat. He's a snitch. We've used him as a CI before. What difference would it make? Would would it have changed anything? No. By the time they met up with Ray Lakansky before they met up with Cheese, he had been murdered. So what difference it wouldn't what difference would it have made? Why would he lie about that? So now Patrick is back to investigating because it's not just about Amanda. It's about the lie. And he has to figure out what he's not being told. Why would he lie? Why is it such a big deal? Somehow this leads him back to the uncle. Because remember, the aunt is the one who hired Kenzie and Gennaro to investigate Amanda McCready's disappearance. Her husband, Lionel. He realizes he's been lying to him as well. So remember that thing that was planted in the back of our heads. Things are not quite what they seem because that's when things really start to unravel. And realize Cheese had nothing to do with that. this. Cheese was set up. Cheese was murdered at that quarry. Intentionally so. He, he was just a pawn in this scheme that they had to keep going to hope because the whole point was to kind of keep... Kenzie and Gennaro out of what was really going on. But according to Lionel, things didn't go according to plan because they brought Amanda up there because the whole plan was apparently, according to Lionel, was to steal the money and then exchange it. We'll steal Amanda and then exchange Amanda for the money, pretend it was cheese. You know, it was supposed to be this greed thing. That's what he was claiming it was, taking it all on himself and saying, you know, this detective helped him and then things go crazy. Remy gets shot. And now Patrick is back in the Boston detective, you know, Boston PD office answering questions, being interrogated. And he tells them how he saw the transcript from the call that she's made to the station. And they're like, what are you talking about? We don't record calls that come to come into the station unless it's a 911 call and we don't have transcripts. What do you mean? Because Jack Doyle showed him, Captain Jack Doyle, who was the head of this department, showed him the transcript, told him about the call. He had the blanket and a letter in his mailbox. So we learned something that Amanda was not stolen as revenge for money that was stolen. She wasn't stolen because her uncle and this detective were greedy. She was stolen because they wanted to rescue her. Uncle Lionel was afraid for his niece. He knew that Helene was an unfit mother who was a neglectful mother. He 
recalled a story about how Amanda was left in a car. Her body was so hot, she couldn't cool down. He overheard Helene talking about how they stole money. They were going to leave the state, and he was scared for his niece. So he hooked up with Remy Broussard, Remy Broussant, and Captain Jack Doyle, and they made a plan to take Amanda, fake her death, and let her live a happy, good life. Patrick Kenzie and Angie Nera find this out when they go to visit Jack Doyle and they see Amanda running out the house. There she is, this little girl they thought she was dead. She's alive. Patrick wants to call the state police because he believes like that's the right thing to do. That they're not allowed to make these kinds of decisions. That Amanda belongs with her mother. Angie, again, let's go back here. Patrick is all about what's right in the moment, and Angie is thinking about the outcome. Patrick is thinking about it's the right thing to do, call 911 and get the state police involved. And Angie is looking at a little girl who's happy and says to leave it alone. That's the, whenever we're faced with an impossible decision, that's real life. I love how we take something that's very real life that sometimes we face in a singular moment and he splits it up into two people. We have the decision that has to be made in that moment. And, but we're also thinking about the outcome. If I do this, what happens here? I love that. Something that happens in a singular moment in our brains, he takes that and he splits it beautifully into two people so that we're able to look at two things at one time. The decision that has to be made in the moment and the potential consequences or the outcome of that decision. And we're all watching this. We're all engaged. It's the beauty of a thriller. This is a neo-noir kind of movie, right? Crime thriller. And here's the thing about thrillers is they suck you in. They pull you in so that you're engaged. You're going in every step of the way. And now we're engaged in this decision because what would you do? What would you do? I love this movie. I love movies that present us with a moral dilemma, that force us to ask questions, that even push us to question ourselves, to look at ourselves differently. And even in moments where we're facing life and death decisions. Maybe we're able to think a little bit critically. Now we're able to think about the decision that has to be made in the moment and also the potential outcome. What should we consider? What can we live with? Because that's Patrick's problem as he has to live with whatever decision he makes. Can he live with potentially ruining this little girl's life by sending her back to her mother? Can he live with himself if he leaves her right where she is and then one day she wakes up and realizes that she was stolen? What can we live with? What can he live with? We're seeing a lot of things happening here. We're looking at the decision that has to be made in the moment. And we're looking at the potential outcomes. But we're also having to deal with our own conscience. What can you live with at the end of the day? How can you sleep at night? The repercussions. Because it's not just this little girl's life that's on the line. It's also his relationship. I love this movie. This is what art does. Is art forces us to ask questions. And art forces us to look at our own selves differently. How we may have seen ourselves in one light and realized we didn't know ourselves as well as we thought we did. 
this isn't true for everyone. This is mostly just true for me. Now that I live in New Orleans, I find it hard to watch The Princess and the Frog. I find it very hard. And people might think that's strange. Don't you live in New Orleans? Yes, I do live in New Orleans, which means I know what the city looks like. I know the structure of New Orleans. I know what streets go where, where the cemeteries are. And the thing about New Orleans, and even though it's, you know, this movie I think took place, Princess and the Frog took place in the 20s. I live in the 2000s. The structure of New Orleans really hasn't changed all that much. Um, New Orleans, I'm fortunate enough, I am fortunate enough to live in a city that's really just stuck in time. I grew up in Charlotte, which is very modern, very sleek, and changes with the time. New Orleans really doesn't. It's a time capsule. Boston's kind of like that. It's a time capsule. There are parts of that city that have been, that have looked the same for hundreds of years. And for those of you who live locally, you might find that to be a problem. I think it's beautiful. I think it's absolutely beautiful that there are still some places you can go and you can learn about history just by looking at it. Does that make sense? So living in New Orleans, I find it hard to watch The Princess and the Frog because there are certain things that just don't quite make sense. Like when they're going through the French Quarter for the parade at the end and then they go right to Lafayette number one. Lafayette number one isn't anywhere near the French Quarter. Lafayette number one isn't even the closest cemetery to the French Quarter. For a while, I was very confused. Like, why didn't they just pick why didn't they just pick um, St. Louis number one? Cemetery, which is not, which is walking distance from the French Quarter. That's where Marie Laveau is um, buried. But if you want to talk about a cemetery in the city of New Orleans that is the most aesthetically pleasing, that um, just is just the most gorgeous, Lafayette number one definitely sits in the middle of the garden district. So I've actually walked from my house to the French Quarter, it took me about three hours, and it takes me about 30 minutes to walk from my house to Lafayette number one give or take. Yeah, give or take. I'd say about 30 minutes. So kind of gives you an idea as to how far apart these places are. But yet in The Princess of the Frog, it makes it look like Lafayette number one is right outside the French Quarter. Nah, nah, no, not even possible. Even at the very end where you're kind of seeing this, you know, the overall view of New Orleans, the way they have the river kind of wounding through the city, it doesn't do that. I don't know where that river is going, but that is not the Mississippi River. Or um, where they have the streetcar kind of running through her neighborhood. I'm pretty sure there isn't a streetcar that would run through her neighborhood where she lives. Um, It doesn't quite work that way. Not at all. A lot of the old tracks are... There, you're not going to find a whole lot of tracks that are no longer in use. If that makes sense. You're not going to find a whole lot. There are some, but not a whole lot. But there isn't a streetcar that would have run through her neighborhood to the French Quarter, if that makes sense. No, she would have had to take a bus. So it's it's little things like that, that, you know, now that I live here, I kind of know that's not right. That's not right. And it's a bit of a distraction for me. So I imagine what it could be like for someone who is from the city of Boston, who might live in the neighborhood of Dor- Dorchester. This movie that wasn't even filmed in that neighborhood it was filmed in South Boston. You know, but we're made to believe as the audience that that's what this neighborhood is. I imagine it can be a little difficult or distracting being told that that's what this neighborhood is. But, you know, hey, no, actually, that's over there. That 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 That's not there. That's not right. Hey, if you're trying to get from that point A to that point B, that's not how you get there. It's very distracting. And I just speaking from someone who now lives in New Orleans, I get very distracted when I'm watching a movie that's filmed in New Orleans. And everyone seems to think that to get from one end of New Orleans to the other, you have to go through the French Quarter. Like the city is not built like that. Nobody has to do that. So 
uh, what what my point is? My point is that I understand living in a city now where a lot of filming takes place, that it can be very distracting watching a movie, seeing your city and seeing the structure just look a little bit off, seeing things that are off or seeing them call things that are not those things because you know that's not what that is and that's not even right where they're saying it is. But I also know from people who don't live in the, in the city of New Orleans who watch movies that are set uh, or filmed in New Orleans, that it really just kind of opens their eyes a little bit and they, they they fall in love with the city a little bit. It's beautiful to them. Just speaking from someone, I've only been to Boston once. It was right after I turned 17, the summer between my junior and senior year. I was with a college prep group and every summer, my ninth, 10th and 11th grade summers, um, we always went on a big trip and went and visited colleges. And one summer, right before my senior year, we went to Boston and I got to visit Harvard and MIT. Fun fact, I really wanted to go up to MIT, not to study anything like MIT-E. They have an ice skating rink and I wanted to go ice skating. Look look at the things that are important to you when you're like 17 years old and jaded and delusional. So anyways, I just wanted to go ice skating. That's it. And I wanted to go row in the row of boats. All the things I knew I would never do. I'm like, I want to do that. I want to go here and do that. But I fell in love with the city, y'all. Absolutely fell in love with the city of Boston. I thought it was just the most beautiful little historical city. It, it felt like, oh God, I could have been born here. This is, I'm made for this. There's something about the personality of Boston that just hit me. And that's what I loved about this movie, though. I remember that feeling of visiting the city and feeling the personality of the city just kind of hit me in a way that felt familiar. That's what this movie does. Not saying that I'm an expert or anything, but I love it when directors, auteurs, artists are able to take these cities and these movies and turn them into characters, make them familiar, make it feel like you know this place, your home, everything is familiar, give you a taste of what life is like, what the culture is like, give the city kind of a life and a breath and a personality all of its own. I think Ben Affleck does a very good job of giving us a taste of Boston, giving us an anchor in this city. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that this is his home. This is where he grew up. I believe he and his brother were born in Cambridge, if I'm not mistaken. So right outside the city, just across the river. So this is home for him. This is familiar. And I, what I know about people who are from Boston is they have a lot of pride being from Boston. It's one of those cities where you will rep all day. You will let people know, even if they don't ask. Yes, I burped. Get over it. You know, you, you want to tell the whole world, hey, I'm from Boston. Like, I have no problem volunteering information. Yeah, I live in New Orleans. Yeah, I do. Yes, it's the murder, cap murder capital of the country, but we have king cake. It's those little things, those little local things that only make sense because of where you live. And you have a couple of those cities in the United States that come with pride, a sense of pride. It, there's a badge of honor to be worn. It, it's not just that it's, there are certain cities that don't just, you don't live in, they live in you. And I, I love how Ben was giving us a taste of what lives in him, giving us a taste of this beautiful city, this beautiful, cold, violent, yet vibrant and historical city. Showing us a little bit of ugly, but a bit of the beauty in the ashes. Does that make sense? But this is also from an author, Dennis Lehane, who is a local, who is from the area, who writes stories based and set in Boston, who shows us a city for what it is, 
and gives us an opportunity to kind of be there as we're reading his novels. For two hours and some minutes, we get to live in Boston. That's what I love. One of the things I loved about this movie is how we are given an opportunity to experience Boston, even if it's just for a couple of hours and even if it's at a distance. Want to advertise on this podcast? Check the episode description to see how you can be featured on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to me rant and rave about yet another movie. So that was the 2007 Ben Affleck directed film Gone Baby Gone starring Casey Affleck and Michelle Monaghan. And it's one of my favorites. It's beautifully shot, beautifully directed, great acting, great cinematography. I love the city of Boston. I think it's absolutely beautiful. And I love movies that sit with you, that force you to ask questions. I love art that moves. I love art that has life and that breathes. And this movie has great legs. It has great breath. It has great personality. And I love this side of Ben Affleck. I love Ben Affleck, the actor, but I even love even more Ben Affleck, the director. I love seeing his creativity come to life. So what is coming up? Y'all, it's almost October, which you know what that means. This this month of September has basically been spooky season. We get a little bit of spooky season in October, but Oscar season. Now, I know it's been a year, right, with the actors strike, delaying movies, pushing things here and there. But there are still a lot of movies that are scheduled to come out to compete for the Oscars in 2024. I'm just excited to see what... um, what meets the standard? Because as far as I'm concerned, Oppenheimer is the standard. And I imagine Killers of the Flower Moon is going to be somewhere up there. I am stupidly looking forward to seeing that. If I'm not mistaken, I have to check my AMC app. But next Thursday, I am seeing Exorcist. I am debating whether or not to rewatch the first one. I don't want to. That movie disturbs me greatly. Um, it's one of those movies you only need to watch one time. That's it. You don't, you, you don't need to rewatch. Who rewatches that? I love a good possession movie. That's a lie. <laughs> because if I can't even rewatch The Exorcist, what, is, what, what, what possession movies am I talking about? A lot of the possession movies that come out nowadays, they're interesting, but they're nowhere near that. That was something else. That was extra and it was incredible and it was way ahead of its time. So it'll be interesting to see how it... Ah, yeah, crap. I'm going to have to rewatch it. Dang it. Oh, when I say that movie bothers me, but it's so good. It's so... It it disturbs me and I don't get disturbed. I don't get bothered. I'm very desensitized, but there are a couple of things I just... I can't do it. I can't watch anything after Saw 2. Saw 1 and Saw 2. Great. Love it. That that was it though. I can't do anymore. Um, No Country for Old Men. One day I'll get over my fear of Javier Bardem in that movie, but I can't watch it. I've only gotten through maybe half of it. He scares me green. Like I get... He makes me... He terrifies me. It took me forever to watch Nightmare on Elm Street because... Freddy Krueger terrifies me. Not the movie itself, but it's the concept of him that just scares me, terrifies me. Not even like in the scary movie, scary. Like, oh my God, that movie was so scary. Like, you know, half of my face is under the covers. No, like the thought, the concept terrifies me, terrifies me. And then you have the movie The Exorcist, which just 
bothers me to the, to my core. Like, I don't think I've screamed the way I've screamed when she comes backwards and upside down down the stairs. Like, I just, ugh. But I'm going to have to rewatch it because I, I have to see. Because you see how possession movies are done nowadays. And I, I'm wondering how this movie is going to measure up to the original. And I still haven't forgot forgiven this director for what he did to Halloween Ends. So I'm still mad at him. Very mad at him. And I don't know if I'm ever going to forgive him, but that's next week. But this week, the creator comes out. So we're ending the month of September with a sci-fi film. John David Washington, I believe is his name. I, I always get want to call him something else, but I know that's not right. <laughs> but Mr. Washington, I am excited for his career. I feel like he has a lot of potential. He just hasn't figured how to come out of his skin yet. I, 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 I figure once he figures out how I think once he stops being scared of his own potential, that's what I get from him. I feel like he's scared of his own potential. Once he gets past that fear. Oh, my God. He, we're not ready. I'm not ready, but I can't wait. So I'm looking forward to that movie. That looks very interesting. And then we'll see what October brings us. But as far as our next two dollar Tuesday, which will be next Tuesday, our first Tuesday in October, we're talking about Candyman, not the original, the 2021, the 2021 movie. Why that movie? Why not the original? Why the 2021 movie? Because that is the movie that started it all. This whole let's review movies on TikTok thing started with Candyman, kind of by accident, wasn't intentional. I saw the movie, I had thoughts, I put it on TikTok and here we are. That's how we got here. So we're going back and we're giving that review more than three minutes. And I can't wait to share my thoughts with y'all. So let me know what you think about Gone Baby Gone. And in the comment section, before we even have the conversation, let me know what you thought of the 2021 Candyman. Let me know. I'd love to hear from you. But either way, I love you very much. I hope you had a wonderful September. And I will see you guys soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.